Welcome to the Broncos Avenue podcast. This is your boy Amir from Broncos Avenue on Instagram. And I'm joined by my friend Trayton is back today. How's it going, brother? It's going pretty good. How about you? Uh, just taking it easy, man. We got another episode here today. Um, you know, right now we uh, we just got done with that Cowboys Broncos joint practice and the final day of Broncos camp. Man, it, it honestly flew by. Um, so preseason's rolling around the corner. Um, you know, a lot of people are talking about fantasy football, bro. I don't even know if I want to do fantasy football this year. Like last year, it was so stressful to keep up with that lineup every morning. And I literally just got to a point because I was in like, a, um, I'm like really bad with fantasy football. I was in one of those leagues where you like you pay and you end up if you win your first place, you like take all cash rewards. Um, I was in one of those. And so um it got to a point where literally I was doing so bad because if you bro the thing about fantasy football is if you draft bad your whole season just goes to shit like if you if you draft bad for me I eventually got to a point where like late in the season I mean literally the season is longer than it it, it got extended by a game and so it got to a point where literally every morning I was literally just like forgetting about my damn lineup because not not only did I not care anymore but I don't know, bro. It's just so stressful to keep up with that shit. Oh yeah. No, I feel you. And I'm, I'm, I'm ultra competitive. So I'm already in like <laughs> probably seven different leagues this year. And, and like, I think three of them are money leagues, but yeah, no, it's well. And it, it, you know, it's, I think fantasy is one of those things where when you, like when you first start out, it definitely takes a few years for you to get seasoned and experienced with it. Yeah. Um, like, yeah. And I mean, I drafted, I drafted really poorly. Like in one of my leagues, I drafted Kamara and I completely, completely forgot about all of his legal problems. Uh, and so <laughs> I, I ended up, yeah, I ended up, I spent my first round pick on a guy that probably won't even play six games out of the season. Damn. I mean, that doesn't sound like a lot, but those are crucial weeks. And, uh, and then my next best running back was Cordero Patterson. So obviously there were issues there. And I, after just wheeling and dealing all week long, I've, I fi- finally managed to, I took a team that was projected to finish fifth to second. Bro, I'm like so bad with fantasy football. Like how do people even like go about like, it's been like for the first round, like what goes through, like, is there like a general, like unwritten rule where you have to like take like running back or quarterback or what? It generally, uh, you know, and again, it, it kind of just depends on the board, but like what's left on the board, but yeah, I, I usually, I usually always go running back round one. Um, and it also, it depends on where you're picking because that, that's the thing. It, usually what I've noticed the trend this year is, is it seems like guys like uh, CMC, uh, Dalvin, Derek Henry and JT, obviously like all of them are like the first five guys off the board. And then the late first round is where guys like Jamar Chase, Cooper, um like Cooper Cup, Justin Jefferson. It kind of seems like there's a like there's a there's a load of receivers being taken in the late first round this year. Yeah. That's just the trends that have gone on in my drafts. Um and so what I've been doing and it's where it seemed at least by projected points, it seems to be a pretty effective strategy so far is when people start taking off if I'm picking in the late first round and when people start taking them receivers. 
uh, with snake drafts, I usually just, you know, you, you pick late in the first round, pick early in the second round. I've just been going double running back. I may not get one of the top tier guys like Henry or JT, but, uh, I mean, for example, like I got Joe Mixon and Saquon and that's, that's a more than solid RB one and RB two tandem. So, and then, uh, I think there's just a lot more depth at receiver this year. So for example, this year, yeah, I would definitely target running backs in the higher rounds and then, uh, wait a little bit on receiver. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, that's, that's been my draft rule, at least this year. That's an interesting approach. I, I literally, I think last year was my first year doing it. Um, yeah, I think I might, I might like do it right before week one, but bro, that's just, it's just a lot to keep up with. I love football. Don't get me wrong. I pay attention to every team, you know, the news, every, every team, their roster cuts, who they're trading for, whatever rumors, blah, 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 blah. Um, but yeah, just to keep up with fantasy football like that, cause you, you gotta like go out of your way. Why? And bro, this is one of the things, like if you're, if a team is facing, you know, the Broncos who are obviously our favorite team and let's like, let's say that they have, um, Cooper cup and, you know, PS2 is guarding him and we want to see PS2 be the beast that we know he can be. But we also have Cooper Cup on our team. And, like, let's say we need, you know, 15 points or so from Cooper Cup to win our matchup this week. And, you know, he gets it. Then we're like, yay, we won that We won that game. And we're like, all right, at what cost? You know, I love, I love the Broncos, but they, you know, they just lost because Cooper Cup went off. Like, I hate when it puts me in those, those like, it gets you in your feelings, bro. Like, it creates, like, a rivalry with your own damn team that you like. Um, but, yeah, I think I, I might get into it. I know a lot, bro. So many people have asked me uh, on Instagram if they want me to join their league and shit. Um, so, yeah, I might get back into it. It's obviously a little late to join, you know, those leagues and stuff. But, um, yeah, it's it's good to have you back, man. Can we get a uh, a Cam Newton on back? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hope, hopefully your return that's... isn't as shitty as his was. Oh, yeah, it definitely won't be. Hopefully we can uh, – <laughs> We we can reclaim the starting rule. Oh shit! This shots fired. Hey Panthers, access if you're listening out there. Um, screw you, you jobless freak. All right, so let's move on um, to our main. As you guys can uh, tell by the uh, <laughs> the name of today's podcast, um, main takeaways from Broncos camp. Um, how many how many days were there through through Broncos camp? There's like twenty something. Uh, yeah, I'm not exactly sure. I I don't know the exact number. Oh, actually, that wasn't even. I'm tripping. There wasn't even twenty days. There was like twelve, thirteen days. Bro, why yeah, was, was it? I feel like it's two. like longer. It, 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 I feel like it's been longer in the past. Or am I tripping? Yeah, it, it it's definitely felt like it was shorter this year. Uh. I I know I think you're right. There was definitely around like 12 to 13 days. I'm not sure on the total, but um, yeah, it, it it definitely feels like it's been longer in years past. Yeah. So, um, going through camp, we obviously had some surprises, and uh, you you guys could check out the last episode. I talked about um my winners and losers from the first a week or so of camp. Um, some I talked about some surprises there with Eric Sauber. Um, Montreal, Washington was a surprise to some, but not to me. Um, Caden Davis was a pleasant surprise. Him and Jalen Virgil are really going to be battling for that last spot. Um, 
likely, you know, one of them's going to go to the practice squad. One of them may be cut. One of them may, you know, just might make the roster. Um, There's a higher chance with Tim Patrick out. Um, So my main, my main takeaways uh, just from like defense um, is Patrick Zertan is easily going to be around top five corner of the season. He's just like the way he, you know, matched up with Jerry Judy and Son, who we obviously think really highly of, um, was pretty outstanding to see. It was just a battle every rep with them. Um, Deshaun Williams is our bona fide starter on that defensive line. He really proved himself to be worthy of that defensive and uh, starting role. Um, and also, Michael OJ Mudia is not who we think he is. What do you? What are your thoughts on that? Like, I really don't think Michael OJ Mudia. Um, lived up to what you know the Broncos, certain Broncos fans were hype, getting you know hyping him up for. Um, he's obviously a third round corner. We've had some third quarter, third round corner woes in the past with Brandon Langley and others. Um, it just feels like he's not gonna live up to that role that you know fans are making it out to be. Well, see, I, my take on Ojemudi is kind of complicated because it's when you look at the expectations he's been given i honestly think that the fans like our i feel like our fan base is kind of overrated um or not overrated him but uh that you know the, i think their expectations are too high you know he's a third round corner um True. and and i mean a lot of the inconsistencies that we're seeing in camp and even in in the games that he's played so far i mean a lot of those were on his college tape as well um so i'm not really sure what a lot of people are surprised about here. And I think, I think Ojemudia, my, my current opinion on him, like I, his stock for me as of now is I think he is a solid depth piece and nothing more than that. Um, I, I mean, I think if he's, I think if he's starting, obviously that would be in case of injury. Uh, and I mean, you know, if, if he's on the field as a starter, you doubt you, you've got some definite problems. Um yeah. But that's, I mean, I, I think honestly, he's lived up to expectations for me because when we drafted him, I didn't view him as anything other than like, I thought we drafted him to be a solid depth, a uh, solid depth piece. Yeah. See, that's With the problem. So many fans, um, whenever we drafted him, so many fans, you know, saw like the, the, um, the cornerback need that we had. And ever since then, they've just kept that, you know, that, that expectation for him to be a starting caliber corner. And that's simply not what, that's simply not what he is. Um, well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You hit the nail on the head, you know, when we draft, when, when you have a need at a position, especially like corner, um, I feel, I feel like when we, when we draft guys and, you know, and especially in the third round, I, I'll, I'll give it to him. You know, when you draft players in the third round, I think you're early enough in the draft where you're hoping that they may have the upside to start one day. Yeah, that's true. Um, but when, I think just where he was drafted and the timing in which he was drafted, I think we had such a big, uh, such a big hole at corner. I think people were just, uh, I think they placed just too high expectations on him, you know, and they just, just because we have a need at corner and we take a guy in the third round doesn't mean that he's a lock to become, uh, you know, a lockdown corner in the NFL. And uh, right now he's show, and I, he has shown flashes, and that's what I like about him, uh, Ojemudia. You know, he has the upside, he has the flashes. Um, he's definitely got the talent for, to to be on an NFL roster. I just don't know if he's at the level of being a consistent starter. 
And I, and I don't think we need him to be a consistent starter. You know um, I think he's, I think he fits perfectly fine into his role of being a depth piece right now. Yeah. And I think, um, I think another thing is the fact that we've seen Damari Mathis play much, much better than him and just be a, a much more physical, but also instinctive corner than OJ Mudia, who has what, like two, three years of experience now. Um, I think the the reason that we're kind of listing him as one of the disappointments of camp is that, you know, when you're outshined uh, by a rookie corner who was, by the way, selected in the fourth round, has outshined you, it's that definitely is a little upsetting. Um, it's definitely trending. It's definitely looking like um, by the 53-man roster, that OJ Moody is going to be one of those last, uh, one of those last players on the depth chart, um, besides like Blisson Austin and maybe another corner. But um, yeah, it's looking like Damari Mathis is going to be above, and Damari Mathis has just looked too good for him to, um, you know, be below uh, OJ Moody just because he has that veteran presence um, on in that corner room, and so. Um, someone who we, we heard about a lot at the beginning of camp, but he kind of, we kind of heard less about him at the end of camp, Jonas Griffith. What do you think about him? We signed him from the 49ers, I believe last year, just to be on the practice squad. And then we let AJ Johnson, one of our most productive players go after he tore his peck. And we're just kind of giving, you know, the, um, we're just kind of giving Jonas Griffith the keys to the car, uh, right there alongside Josie Jewel. What do you think about him? Do you think he's going to be uh, a pleasant surprise on this defense or do you think he's going to be someone who we just kind of he kind of doesn't show us what we need there with jewel and we end up having to look for you know a trade option you know i i do I, i'm i'm really high on griffith uh i think that he's you know and he, the the games that he played in last year um he he was very promising and uh i mean so far from what we've seen i mean he's been nothing nothing short of phenomenal in camp so uh, you know, I, I, I would definitely say that he is a, he's a sleeper candidate or he's a sleeper on the defense. You know, I think he's definitely someone that can at the, at the very least, I think he can step into that role and be a solid starter. Um, and I think he's got the upside to be even more. Yeah. I, I really liked what I saw from, the, uh, from him in the beginning of camp. Um, obviously improvement that me, needs to be made. But we saw some really good things for a player like him. Um, he's still considered – he's considered, you know, a veteran. So those expectations for him in that second row, uh, second spot um, right there with Jewel is going to be definitely uh, – I'm going to be curious to see how he does this season because if things go wrong, obviously you're going to need a, uh, a solid option there. Um, so I don't know if we would go and trade for someone, but, you know, I don't want to jump the gun. I really am excited to see what Jonas Griffith can do this season. He was definitely one of those ple- pleasant surprises this camp as well. Um, I know a lot of fans were upset to see Kenny Young and A.J. Johnson walk at the same time, but that just shows, like, how much the front office sees in Griffith. Um, so moving over to the offensive side of the ball, uh, one thing, oh, my gosh, we can talk about – I'm just going to go ahead and call him out right here. James Merrillat literally put out an article about Russell Wilson being completely washed. He's not looking like the Wilson he's looked like before. His deep ball's trash. He looks inconsistent. <laughs> we put out an article that, you know, I saw Benjamin Albright respond to um, that it, he said it was completely untrue. One of my biggest takeaways from this camp is Russell Wilson is Russell Wilson. He's not washed. He's still, he's still got it. 
um, we got to remember that he's, you know, he's under a new offense now. Um, and he's, he has to build chemistry with all new teammates. I'm really, I, I honestly really liked what I saw from R- Russell Wilson in camp. He only had one interception that was his fault. Um, on that Darby interception, the other interception was one of the last days. Uh, I believe is literally just yesterday with the Cowboys. It was a Brandon Johnson's hit pass. What do you think about James Merrillap putting uh, putting that stuff out? Oh wait, but before I go into James Merrillat, I want I wanted to ask you. You may know this. Okay. Um, on that on that Darby interception, that was Russ's fault. Was that just like a was that kind of like a fifty fifty ball to court? I hmm. or was that like a mystery to coverage? or something i honestly see that's the thing it might it might not have been i would i don't know because the thing is i don't know if they ever even put that clip out they also didn't even put the clip out for justin simmons's interception against stack so i don't know the weird the media was a little weird with how they're releasing clips this year i feel like they were showing a lot more in uh team highlights last year this year was kind of like we got to see some some catches in team periods and it was mainly other than that we mainly just saw like linebackers doing drills and shit like we didn't get to see much other than that so with the whole Ronald Darby thing I think it was Russ's fault um I remember like the media giving a lot of uh praise to uh to Darby after that but yeah I think it was oh, not, I, yeah I can't even tell you if it was 50 50 or just him jumping around or something yeah well yeah and that's the that's the thing. I mean, and that's that's one thing I think we might see a little bit of this year. I think most of Russ's picks are probably going to come on 50-50 balls to Sutton. True. Um, but – and that's the thing. I mean, they're called 50-50 balls for a reason. So, you know, the risk is there. But anyways, uh, going on to Merrillat, you know, I mean, I, I really don't pay that guy any any mind. Uh, that I, I, to be completely truthful, I, I'm not sure how that guy has a career in, in – uh, and sports in general, uh, because <laughs> I mean, uh, any report or uh, practice clip that you look at uh, says the exact opposite of whatever atrocious article he put out. Um, and that's the thing. I didn't even bother reading his article because after I read the title, I knew it was so far away from reality. Um, but no, yeah, Russ is the exact opposite of being watched or uh, a shell of him former self I mean he's you and people still have to remember he's coming off of a, a year where he was hurt um and even then he put up he still put up exceptional stats I mean 25 touchdowns six interceptions I mean even obviously our expectations are much higher but he could even put up that, that stat line and it would be significantly better than any uh any of the quarterback play we've gotten in Denver over the last six years so uh I mean, I, articles like that really don't even, uh, they, they don't occupy any of my time or, uh, headspace, you know, that's, uh, him putting out an article like that is just, uh, in, in my opinion, I think it's clickbait, uh, sensationalism. It's just, yeah, he's trying to get clicks. Uh, that's, yeah, he couldn't be farther from the truth. Yeah. So in the last few takeaways we have is, uh, Javante Williams, Listed as running back one in the depth chart, but the, I feel like that was simply just because they have to have like a running back one A and uh, a one A and one B. Um, Melvin Gordon's out with a foot contusion. That's going to be 
Uh, I'm not sure if he's going to be day to day or week to week. We're definitely not going to see him. Uh, I can definitely tell you that we're definitely not going to see him at all this week. Um, we probably won't see him at all next week as well. Um, it'll probably just be with those uh, new running backs that we signed in preseason. Um, yeah. We'll probably see some Mike Boone as well. Um, and then also there's concern with the O-line, um, especially on the, uh, the, at the right tackle spot. Um, the center, I would say the center and left tackle spot seems to be okay. Um, you can have your, you know, your arguments and debate about what's happening at left guard, right guard and right tackle. But, um, I don't know those, there's some concern with that. Um, well, if you really think about it, I, if you really look at the offensive line, I, I, I could be wrong here, but you know, I, I really feel like left tackle is the only solidified position on the offensive line. Yeah. I just said that in my last episode. Yeah. Um, I mean, right guard, center, left guard, right tackle all the way down the line, aside from left tackle with bulls. I think every position is up for grabs. Um, oh, and then uh, going back to the running back committee, I have a take on that. You know, okay. how, how I see, how I see things playing out between Javante and Melvin is I can definitely see uh, them starting out with the committee approach, uh, and, you know, I think I think last year it was pretty close to 50-50 carries. Mm-hmm. And I think this year, I think even from the beginning, I think we'll probably start out like I think Javante. It'll probably lean more Javante, like maybe like a 60-40 type thing um, in terms of just percentage of carries. Yeah. But I, th- I, I just – I'm I'm really high on Javante this season. Mm-hmm. Um how he played as a rookie was phenomenal. I think he could have been a top 10, possibly even top five back last season. If he had, uh, like if he was treated as a workhorse back, but obviously he wasn't, I mean, and I don't think that we're going to see Javante get to that point this year either, but I think that, I think the carries are going to, I think the touches just overall are going to swing in his favor as the season goes on. And I think it could, I think it could happen pretty quickly and pretty significant, uh, significantly, you know, I, cause I I just think Javante is going to be 10 times more effective uh, and efficient than Melvin is this season. And that's nothing against Melvin, but that's just how I see. I, that's just how high, how high I am on uh, Javante. So I think I think by the by the end of the season or even by midseason, I think this backfield could look a lot less uh, like a committee than they're trying to put on now. If you know what I mean. All right, and I like what you said there. So uh, I think one of my last takeaways will be um, just the 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 coaching staff. They feel like they got a, a good. It feels like they had a a good sense and feel of what the chemistry is going to look like, and they de- just developed the whole approach pretty quickly i feel like team periods went by well um another thing i want to talk about i want to ask you as well um what do you think about the team going to um just team 11 on 11s always instead of doing seven on sevens like they were doing with uh vance joseph and vic fangio in previous years um and just doing like one-on-ones every uh just every other practice what do you think about that um, I, I, to be honest, I love it. I think the more 11 on 11s that they run, the better, because that's, I mean, that's, that's real football. Exactly. Uh, those, are the, those are the situations that we are going to be in during the season. You don't run seven on sevens in the season. You don't run uh one-on-ones. And, and in my honest opinion, yeah, I mean, sure. Maybe they're fun, but I, I in my opinion, uh, one on doing one-on-ones, I think they're absolutely useless. Um, but 
as far as uh, I think seven on sevens, I think those can be useful, at least for, uh, you know, like the position groups and uh, like for receiver and uh, tight end. I think it's good for them to get out there and run routes and get, just get a feel for things. But uh, as far as the amount of 11 on 11s that we're running, I love it. I think because that's the more the more real life football situations that are practiced, the more prepared we are for forward in an in-game situation. Uh, and that's why I'm looking forward to preseason even, you know, I mean, I think a lot of people underrate the preseason as well, because that's uh, as great as camp is and even joint practices. Um, sure. The outcome of a preseason game has absolutely no meaning whatsoever, but uh, how you play in a preseason game and just the feel of it is completely different from practice. And that's what I'm excited. I'm excited to see how these guys react to an in-game situation. Um, and that's, and I mean, the, the 11 on 11s translate to that, you know, and then it, and then that translates into the regular season. Um, I think, and that's, that's why I think it's great. I just think that means less time spent running drills that are sure. Maybe they're used as a nice warm up. Uh, a warm-up drill and that's why I think one-on-ones and seven-on-sevens can be beneficial in different ways um, just as as far as like getting the guys out there to run routes and whatnot um, and getting a feel for things but I don't I don't feel like those those types of drills I don't feel like they help us in any way in actual uh, real like real game scenarios that are going to that we're going to be encountering during the season you know and so I just think I think I like the I like the priorities that this new coaching staff has because it seems like they value practicing real, uh, real in-game situations over uh, just going out there and getting a feel for things. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, and th- that is true because Hackett literally said yesterday that um, this joint practice with Dallas is more important than any preseason game we're going to play. And I really like that he said that. Um, just because we, we, you know, that's what's, you know, because you're in these joint practices, you're getting to see, you know, how players respond to every rep. There isn't necessarily like a clock that you're going off of. Um, you're just kind of getting to evaluate your players on multiple different plays, whereas in, in certain same uh, game situations, you have to change up your approach. Um, I don't know. You can have your opinion on that. I can also can agree with you more about just the seven on sevens and one on ones being useless. As you already said, seven out sevens. Do you play that in real game? No, you don't. Um, I don't understand that. Um, and one on ones are just as stupid, in my opinion. Just because if you have a the the wide receiver and corner one on ones, feel I, I can understand like the D line and O line one on ones. Um, those are still kind of pointless. But you know the um, wide receiver and corner one on ones is what mainly what we saw in the media like talked about. Um, that just kind of doesn't make sense to me. Just because that's in in a game situation is completely unrealistic because you know you you have to worry about linebackers dropping back. Let's say you're running, you know, a little drag route or um in and out crosser. You worry about linebackers giving a little chip on you on a route. Obviously in a one-on-one situation, you don't have to worry about that. You have the complete open field to, you know, move around with. Whereas an in-game situation, you have a lot less room to work with. Um there's gonna be safeties that pull up uh, that, you know, uh run over and could possibly, you know, uh, catch an interception. Um, you just have to worry about a lot of different, you know, players moving around like chess pieces. Whereas in a one-on-one, you have a lot more uh, field to work with. Um, you know, I'm curious to see what every, what everybody else thinks about that. I just personally, uh, we obviously both agree on this. One-on-ones and seven-on-sevens feel useless. Um, don't really understand why previous coaching staffs and even other teams are still doing that. 
Um, it just feels a lot more, I mean, maybe it's to, you know, reduce the risk of injury. I, I, I honestly don't understand that. If you were to worry about reducing the risk of injury, what's the point of practice even anyways? Well, yeah, and exactly, you know, going back to like you said, for and they, you know, one on ones can for sure be beneficial to uh, like certain position groups, like yeah, like you said, linemen. That would be, like that's that's a great uh, a, a great situation and where in which one on ones would be like really useful for them. Um, yeah, like and we saw with, uh, Cam Jurgens and Jordan Davis. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's see, and and but the linemen are going to be in one-on-one situations a lot more frequently than uh, DBs and receivers are. Yeah. So, and that's and that that's where and that's why I have the opinion that they're useless is just because our receivers and DBs. I mean, it, it's and especially with the defense that we run, uh, you know, it's just it's it's going to be so rare that our DBs and wide receivers are in a one-on-one situation and have that much field to work with and so why 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 you're running a drill and sure again like i said you know i think maybe that's a a nice warm-up exercise just to get in the the feel of you know running yeah, that is true. Stuff. but uh as far as like actual translation onto the field uh i just i don't you know i don't feel like seven on sevens and one-on-ones i don't feel like they have any true value yeah, like I actually think you made a good point there. Um, it, maybe it's just like a, a an approach because I always see the one on ones happening before team periods. It's never after. Maybe it's just a, a way to get the like the players in the groove and like get you know get their their feet in the turf. Um, and just like the feeling of running those routes and stuff because we mainly see it with the receivers and corners. Um, uh, maybe that that probably is like the best argument on the other side is just to get the get the players in the good feel before they enter team periods because if you were to just throw them in team periods right away um maybe it, that is more risk of an injury um if you weren't you know practicing those quick movements um but even then there's there's other drills that the that the player and position groups practice together so yeah well that's what I mean you know I I I can definitely understand you know I I guess I can understand running them I just definitely and that's why I appreciate this new coaching staff because it seems like time is being uh valued a lot a lot better than it has in previous coaching staffs yeah and that's why and that's why yeah I can sure if you want to run one-on-ones and seven-on-sevens sure I totally get it um and just like you said you know as a warm-up exercise or something like that but uh you know, and that that's the thing. There's plenty of other drills that can be ran for, for virtually the same purpose. I just, yeah, you know, I, you, you can use them for a variety of reasons. And uh, I just, I, I don't think it translates to on-field and in-game scenarios at all. Yeah. And the seven out of seven, I, yeah, I just, I can't find any reason why that would make sense. You can't even say that's just like a warm-up exercise there. Cause you're literally four, you know, you're four players away literally four players away from two on uh four on each side from um being just the complete team period so i i don't know that doesn't make really that much sense to me um yeah might as well just put the whole team on the field and get exactly. some more practice exactly and, and and that way you're uh and that's just you know i think it's great to practice all aspects of the game but i think it's uh i i and I think it, I think you can definitely practice certain aspects individually, like just running routes, just focusing on catching. But yeah, when you when you have an eleven on eleven drill versus a seven on seven, your your mind and even like physically, you're uh, you're not exercising 
uh, so many different parts of the game that you usually do during an an 11 on 11 period. And just when, when uh, it would be different again, you know, I mean, to me, it's just as simple as that, you know, Uh, it it would be different if you ran seven on sevens during the regular season in games, but you don't. So uh, I, that's why I just, I, yeah, I definitely, uh, I like the way this coaching staff is handling things because it seems like we're spending more time on uh, real life football scenarios and uh, situations that we're actually going to encounter during the season rather than just spending time on drills that should be used as uh, warm-ups or even just, and, and like you said, you know, you, you didn't, you made a really good point on seven on sevens. There's really, I don't really see a purpose for them because at that point you might as well, uh, you know, you're, you're far away from having the whole team out there. So uh, yeah, I mean, they really don't hold much of a purpose at all. Let's yeah, use exactly. them as a warm-up exercise is just about the only angle I can see for having any reason to uh, run them at all. But you know, each to their own, but yeah, that's, that's my take on it. Yeah. And real quick, let me, let me hear what you think about this. A lot of Broncos fans out of nowhere a few days ago, just started arguing about um, the, the certain like practices, them wearing pads. And then the next practice, they're just not wearing pads and it's a slow jog through. What do you think about that? Like, do you think they should just be going full throttle every practice or do you think there's, there's days where the players need to just have like a slow walk through and uh, no pads and just kind of going through the um, going through the process and the movements and getting a better grip on the system. Oh no, I love that. Uh, I, I love the fact that they're letting uh, and, and it, it seems like they're really prioritizing rest. And that's another thing, not even just with the, the, the walkthrough practices uh, kind of in the same realm realm though. Uh, one thing I've noticed is that they're being v- very, very careful with like, for example, KJ yeah, um, and Dolchich. She's another one. I like that they're being careful and it seems like they're prioritizing the, the guys' bodies over uh, just having them get out there, which I think needs to be prioritized. And I think that could help us have less injuries. You know, um, I th- think rest is a huge priority, especially when you're ramping up to the season. I, I, there's absolutely no sense in just overworking these guys before they even get out there for week one. Uh, so, and I think, I think if anything, I think all that, that, that energy needs to be conserved for the regular season. And, uh, and even then, it, you know, rest needs to be uh, something that's heavily monitored throughout the season. You know, uh, rest can be just as important as the, you know, as practice itself. So um that's I, I really like how the team is going with that. And I think that there's definitely days like those walkthrough days where you can just kind of focus on like the mental aspect of things. Uh, and you can spend more time just walking through things, looking at the mental aspect of the game, re, uh, reading coverages, you know, uh, learning the playbook itself. Um, and I mean, of course, the most valuable rep of all is just actually getting out there and throwing balls and catching routes and uh, things of that nature. But, yeah. You know, I, I do think those walkthrough days are just as I think they're just as valuable as uh, a full pad practice day. Yeah, I mean, you got to keep in mind the season's longer than it has been, in, uh, you know, previous years. And so when you have a, you know, training camp with their a new coaching staff, you have a lot to learn um, the practices. Obviously, there's going to be um, it's going to be harder certain days, but other days you need to take it easier because you have a long season ahead of you. And then on top of that, obviously this coaching staff believes that we're going to be in the playoffs. So that makes our season even longer. 
So I, th- I, I, I agree. I do like what they're doing with that. Um, if fans saw that if fans got what they wanted and every practice pads were on and it was going, it was full throttle, just like two, three hours of practice every day and players got injured because of it or players just got frustrated because of how, you know, tired they were. Um, then players, the fans would switch up and say they wanted certain days where they can get rest. So it's just one of those things where our fans are always going to argue about anything that this team does. I wouldn't be surprised if there's like a few games in certain fans are calling for Hackett to be fired just because like, I love Broncos country, but this fan base can be flipped, you know, so easily. And it gets really divided sometimes. Like we saw last year with Bridgewater and Locke. Oh, for sure. And that's, you know, and I, I feel like I've said this at the end of every episode I've been on. Um, and that is another thing, like how you brought up, you know, after a few weeks, you can already see fans calling for Hackett's head if things go, like if things aren't going perfectly. Yeah. Um, and even that's the thing, you know, and I, I mean, I've looked at the schedule and I actually think that we'll get off to a pretty, uh, like a relatively easy start. But, yeah. um, you know, and that that's one thing that I just cannot stress enough, just especially to the fan base, you know. It like things like this take time. Yes, we're getting an esta- a well, like a fully established quarterback in Russell Wilson, but he's going to be in a completely new offense. That's going to take that, you know, there's going to be learning curves, there's going to be adjustments to make. Um, and again, a, a first time brand new head coach, uh, a, a completely a brand new coaching staff, and all of these guys are young, they're uh, relatively inexperienced and that, that doesn't, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it, you know, if we get off to a slow start or even not even a slow start, just this year in general, at the end of the season, if, uh, whatever your expectations were, if we don't meet them, uh, I don't think it's time to press the panic button yet. You know, that's just we, we completely overhauled this team almost in the, in all of the positions that it mattered, you know? Um, and all of our foundational pieces to this organization are completely different now. So, uh, you know, I think uh, with a season like this, I, I, you know, I think it could go amazing. There's also the chance that it could completely go off the rails. And what I think, what I think the most realistic, uh, option we have is I think we end up somewhere in the middle of that. You know, I definitely think we're, uh, we're a playoff team this year, but I think people are just getting a little bit carried away with the expectations and uh, still high off the Russell Wilson trade, yeah, which is completely understandable. But I just that's if there's one thing I can stress to this fan base is just temper, you know, uh, keep your expectations relatively low. You know, um, obviously, you know, definitely there's a there's a fine line where we can start to be concerned. But I think I think just uh, with the current situation that this team is in, I think this team is going. It's young. Uh, and it's things are going to take time to fall into place and to adjust and to adapt to everything. So I don't expect I don't expect us to you know I don't expect us to hit hit the ground running and uh, you know go fourteen and three this year. That's not realistic, you know. Um, expect expect bumps in the road. Expect uh, learning curves. And that's just that that's just what's that that's what comes with having a new quarterback, a new offense, and a completely new coaching staff. So I think that's what we can expect, expect from Denver this year. What would you say is our biggest concern this year? Like what, what's in the back of your mind? Like, and just in the team in general, like um, do you think one position group is going to hold the team back or do you think there's going to be chemistry issues? Um, me personally, my biggest concern um, 
I, I'm not going to lie, uh, the offensive line. And then I, I'm not sure if um, Nathaniel Hackett, not just Nathaniel Hackett, but just this whole young team and this whole young co- coaching staff, I'm not sure if they're all going to be able to uh, to put it together. And I, I'm not sure. I, I don't want to sound negative or pessimistic or anything, but just the offensive line and the team in general, I don't know if they're going to have the success that is um, replicated so much by the fan base or predicted so much by the fan base in just, in just year one, what's your biggest concern with the team? Um, see, there, there's not really a particular position group that I would label as a concern. Mm-hmm. I definitely, the, I, actually, I take that back. If I do have one concern, uh, it's not actually about how the position it's, it's not actually about how they're going to perform. It's the lack of stability. Um, you know, and that's the thing I, I think, and I think preseason will definitely, and as uh, practices go on, I think things will probably work themselves out and the, the position group will solidify, but like you, and just going back to what you said, the offensive line, and th- th- it's not really a concern to me. I don't think we're going to be that bad this year. Um, I, if, if I had to guess, I think it's probably going to be average, Um and that's why I don't really, I don't necessarily think that it's going to be bad enough to where it's going to hold us back or uh, cause any major concerns. But if the team does have one weakness, I would say it's definitely the offensive line. Mm-hmm. Um, but then again, I mean, that's the, you know, Russ is a very mobile. So, um, and that's the thing. I mean, if you look at it last year, um, a lot of our games, uh, even when the offensive line, performed poorly i mean a lot of our games were decided by one possession or less um and so that's when and and you look at that that was when we had teddy bridgewater and drew Locke at quarterback yeah and if uh you know if the offensive line can keep them somewhat protected and just overall uh looking at the results i mean if we can keep ourselves in games with last year's offensive line and then last year's quarterback situation, if we can keep ourselves in games in that situation, I don't see Russell Wilson having any problems behind this offensive line. You know, and I mean, I think they'll definitely have their days. And, uh, you know, and if stability continues to be a problem on the offensive line, if we can't get a stable starting offensive line, um, if we can't get a, a, a solidified lineup in place, then I definitely think that that could cause issues. Um, but as far as, uh, as, as far as just a general outlook over the season, if there is one position group that I could see becoming an issue, it would be the offensive line. But even then, as of now, I, I don't really even label it a concern. I just think it would be one of the, one of the weaker areas on the team. That doesn't necessarily mean it'll, it'll be bad. Yeah, I think- and I actually, I actually believe we were uh, uh, actually like a, in, in the top half of offensive lines last year, and I see no reason why we would regress this year. So yeah, yeah I was looking uh, at that the other day. There was like some surprises I saw in the rankings of our. I think our quarterback room was literally ranked 16th. I was like, no way. Well, and that's probably I think, and that was probably definitely. Uh, because that's the thing about Teddy. I, I can see that statistic being true, actually. And the reason why is just because Teddy, average. Uh, I mean, yeah, he's average and he's efficient. You know, he, he does, he's not going to get a lot done, but he's efficient while like with what he does do, you know? Yeah. So I, I guess I, I definitely think Teddy's stats can kind of 
uh, skew metrics like that. But yeah, I, I, I could see that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we have preseason week one, bro. We have Broncos football coming so soon. Um, we have three or four games in preseason this year. Oh, we have three, three games. Yeah. So we have, um, I feel like in previous years we've had like four, right? Yeah. And, uh, well, and the, the, the preseason actually changed back to three games. Uh, oh, yeah, last, yeah, the CBA rule. First time, yeah, with the CBA. Um, yeah, so that yeah, means we yeah. have less to uh, evaluate now on the players, um, especially, like, the undrafted rookies who we've had a small sample size to see in camp. Um, and just, like, a new coaching staff, we have less to evaluate on these players with one less game. So preseason is going to be more important than usual. Um, there's going to be cuts made, um, earlier than usual. So I'm definitely looking forward to this. Um, the number one theme of, uh, preseason is just going to be position battles. Um, we're going to see a lot of, um, just those, uh, those last wide receivers in the depth chart battling offensive line is going to be just every position except for Garrett Bowles. They're going to be competing for positions. Natane Muti is literally competing for two positions. So is Quinn Miners. Um, and Billy Turner's an interesting one. He's been injured all um, OTAs in camp. I'm I'm interested to see what uh, he's gonna, um, the, you know, the case that he can put together to uh, prove that he's a starter there. I'll, I want to see like how they're gonna go about that. The coaching staff, GM George Payton, how they're gonna go about that. You know, deciding who's the starting right tackle is given that Billy Turner hasn't you know seen a single rep in training camp. Um, I wonder how. They're going to play him in the preseason once he gets back. Um, just the whole preseason, it's going to be based off of, you know, position battles, just like it is for any other team. Um, so last thing is, what is your – I know we don't know who who's playing, who's not playing, but what, what's your score prediction for um, week one against Dallas? Man, that's a tough one. Right now, I'm, I'm going to lean – and, you know, I think we, we usually – play pretty well in preseason and I think our depth is uh I think I think our depth is a bit above um Dallas so I, I'm gonna give it because well yeah we'll have Rippon and uh Johnson in for most of the game so I if I had to give a prediction right now I'm I'm gonna say uh 27 27 to 10 Denver oh wow yeah I think I think we uh and I think one of the the number one player to watch for me, at least during during that game, is going to be uh, Montreal Washington, and I'm sure he's going to get a fair amount of playing time. So I think, uh, and I, I think at least just with uh, what we've seen in camp so far, I think, and I don't you I don't want to overreact to training camp, but I think it's pretty safe to say. Um, I mean, like the dude's been burning our our first team, like he's been burning starters in practice. So I. I you know, I, I would say, uh, and we have a top tier secondary in the NFL. I so I think uh, I think he should have a, a heyday in the preseason. I think having a guy like him and uh, Brett Rippon, I think uh, Rippon is honestly an underrated backup quarterback. I think he can definitely fill that role and be a serviceable backup. So I think I think for a guy like for guys like those, I think they I think they're going to look great in preseason. Okay, okay. Um, I'm gonna I'm probably gonna say. 
I want to say like 19 to no, I want to say like 20 to 13 or 23 to 13. One of those 20 to 13 or 23 to 13. I'm going to say my final is 20 to 13, just to, just to play safe. Um, that's fair. That's yeah. a, that's a good, that's we're going to see a lot of, we're going to see a lot of Brett Rippon and Josh Johnson. Um, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and solidify, uh, what did I say was my final? What did I say was my final? Twenty to thirteen or twenty three? Yeah, to twenty to thirteen. Okay, yeah, twenty to thirteen. I'm gonna go with that. We'll, we'll stick All right. with that. Yeah, I'm I, I, twenty seven to ten. I th- I think we, you know, these preseason games are like they're so hard to predict. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, we started last season, uh, last preseason off with blowout. So why not do it again? <laughs> All right, so. With that being said, I really, I really enjoyed today's episode. I hope you guys did as well. Um, make sure to leave a rating on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Uh, also, follow the podcast as well and turn notifications on. Um, we're going to be having much more episodes coming with the season uh, right around the corner. So excited. You know, we waited so long. Football is back. Broncos football is finally back. Um, I know Broncos country is really excited. So, uh, so, so are me and Trayton. I'm really looking forward to this season, uh, spending this with you guys. Uh, make sure to go follow Broncos Avenue on Instagram. Uh, Trey, what's your Twitter again? Um, I, I actually don't remember my, my <laughs> username off the top of my head. Oh, I will shit. have to, uh, yeah, I will have to get, get back to you for the next episode. <laughs> oh man he's left he's leaving us on a cliffhanger guys i am um, man yeah I, I yeah i i don't remember my my username off the top of my head I'm i will dead, have to you for that oh your instagram what was your instagram oh uh, my my instagram is trayton underscore period all right make sure you guys go hit him up train underscore period um number one co-host in the world Appreciate you guys listening to this episode. Uh, be sure to tune into more episodes in the future. Um, we have have uh, some coming out every week. Um, until the next one, peace.